We experience failure often. That's just that's sort of the price for being a human. We experience failure often, almost I'd say in our everyday lives. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's our failure, and sometimes it's the failures of others, but failure is kind of a part of, of the human experience. Like when you order cheese fries at a restaurant, and they serve you this. <laughs> it's not cheese fries. Like you can't, put, it's not any two of those ingredients in any form equal cheese fries. That is not, clearly not cheese fries. Or when a dog wanders into your perfect beach panorama. What kind, of, what kind of dog is that? That's like, that's like the beach at Chernobyl. Some like radioactive, and here's what I love. Seven legs, not even an even number. Seven legs. Or maybe you're like me this week. My father-in-law texted me a picture of the new Vans that he had gotten uh, because he knows that I really like sneakers and we've been looking for some uh, over vacation. So it's like, all right, Ralph, I like them. Nice, nice, nice touch. And I really like my father-in-law a lot, and so I wanted to send him a gift to show my support for his footwear choice. So I sent him this from Billy Madison, right? It's, it's a funny scene from the movie Billy Madison, and this is where the story would have ended if I hadn't forgotten that this particular gift has a third line. Let me show you a close-up. That. I sent that to my father-in-law this week. Thank you. Not a great moment for me there. Not a great moment. Yeah, it was a little awkward, particularly because, no, I did not want to touch the hiney. So that was, uh, that was kind of a, a fun little fail for, for me this week. We're going to dig into that idea of failure as we continue our series, Fear Less. We give fear way too much real estate in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. Jerry talked about the fear of death last week, and this week we're going to talk about the fear of failure. It has a name, a tickyphobia, fear of failure. And we need to say up front, we're not talking about good or reasonable fear of failure, right? We're not saying all fear is bad. You should be fearful about eating something you dug out of your child's backpack from last school year. That would be a poor decision. You should be afraid of that, right? Or it... If you decided to hand feed a giant great white sharks, that feels like that's got a fairly high risk of failure. So we're not talking about fearing kind of those things. We're talking about real substantive fear of failure, the kind that cripples us, the kind that affects our decision making, the kind that that weighs on our souls. And we're going to do that through one of my favorite stories in the Bible, John chapter 21 where Peter has this great conversation with Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there, John chapter 21, that's what we're going to dig into. Let me give you some context about where we're going. In John 18, Peter had a horrible moment. As Jesus is being brought before the, the Roman leadership, as he's being brought really ultimately to his death through crucifixion, dying on a cross, Jesus warns Peter that you're going to deny me three times tonight. You're going to deny that that you're with me. You're going to deny that you even know me. And Peter's super confident. He's like, no way, no way, not me, not me, Jesus. I don't know about these other guys. John looks a little shady. I don't know about him. I would would look at him. That's probably who you mean. Not me, though. I would never do that. So Jesus, as he's before the the Roman government, uh, Peter's kind of following along in the back and, and Somebody sees him and they ask him, you know, do, 
Are you one of his disciples? And in Matthew, it says, they actually asked him, do you, do you know him? It's even more explicit. And Peter says, no. No, I don't. Three times he says, no, that I, I don't know him. Peter did exactly what Jesus said. And in Matthew 26, 75, we read, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. Peter knew what he'd done. Imagine that. Imagine what that failure must have felt like. Imagine the weight that must have left on Peter's heart, on Peter's soul. Imagine that. The, here's the man that, that Peter loved, his friend. He'd, he'd walked with him. He, he knew that this was the Son of God. This is Jesus' worst moment. And when Peter should be there for him, he's not. He denies he even knows him. Imagine the depth of that betrayal. And Peter gets it. He wept bitterly because he knew what he'd done. That's a significant failure. And so Peter, he goes back home. I, I got to imagine Peter's going, I have no right to be part of this anymore. I, I have failed so spectacularly. I'm just going to go back home to what I know. I'm going to go back to fishing. That, that's, that's, that's something I can do. All right, I haven't messed that up yet. I don't deserve to be over here. I imagine that failure just weighed on him. It, it certainly would have on me. And so Peter goes back home, and in John 21, verse 3, we see Peter say, I'm going out fishing. And we'll come too, they all said. So they, they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. So imagine Peter has failed so significantly, so spectacularly, he leaves this life that he had, and he goes back home to fishing because that's the one thing he knows how to do. And now he's failed at that as well. The sense of a failure of shame, man, that just must have been huge. It's in that context that Jesus shows up. Right? As they're coming in, they see this guy on the shore, and he's like, hey, did you catch anything? They're like, no. And so they throw your nets over the other side of the boat, and so they do. And this mirrors really when, when Jesus first met Peter. They did a similar thing, and they catch so many fish, they can't believe it. And so Peter realizes this must be Jesus, jumps in the water, and Jesus is making them breakfast, and they sit down to have this conversation. In, in John 21, verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to go and do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. At Peter's absolute worst moment, Jesus enters into his story and does something different, I think, than we would. Why do we fear failure? Because we do. I think that's a huge part of the 
brokenness of our hearts. It's part of the, the big things that we struggle with. We fear failure. And it's interesting because we fail at all sorts of things that don't really bother us, right? We fail at video games. We fail at karaoke. Like I've maybe heard three people ever be great at karaoke. That's kind of the point of karaoke. It's supposed to be bad in a fun way like Neil Diamond-ish. Somewhere my dad's heart is hurt that I besmirched the good name of Neil Diamond. We fail at March Madness brackets. Nobody's ever gotten a perfect one. We know going in, I'm going to be wrong. The question is how soon into the, week, into the month-long tournament am I going to be disappointed that I have failed? We fail at dancing. I've seen a lot of people dance. I do a lot of weddings. seen a lot of people dancing. Let me just tell you, there's a lot of failure at dancing. A lot of, lot of failure at dancing. So why don't those things bother us? Why do certain things really stick with us? Why can't we shake some failures? Why do we obsess about and fear certain things? When we're afraid of failure, when we give it lots of space in our lives, the underlying issue there is what we think it says about us. Maybe what we think about what it says about us to others, right? Maybe it's about what we think others think of us, but often it's really what it says about us to ourselves, because fear of failure is really an identity issue. We have a hard time letting go of those things that we see as core to how we view ourselves and our place in the world. Failure is a constant reminder that maybe we're not as good as we thought, that maybe we really aren't good enough. But Jesus has a unique approach to failure, and that failure applies to us as well. And the first thing we see here is that Jesus meets you in the midst of failure. Jesus meets you in the midst of failure. Peter failed, and he failed spectacularly. He's so haunted by this failure that he goes back to his old life. But Jesus didn't leave him in his failure. He met him in the midst of that. Jesus sought Peter out. He came to Peter. He engaged with him honestly and candidly. And I think that's significant. Because what Peter didn't have to do is say, all right, how do I figure this out and make this right? How do I, how do I fix that, that brokenness? How do, I, how do I make up for what I've done? And then I can seek Jesus out and we'll be cool. They didn't ever get to that point. Jesus sought Peter out. And that is incredibly hopeful. Because what it tells us is that our failure is not the end of the story. Our failure does not remove us from God forever. Our failure is not the end of it, right? We, have, we get one shot and that's gone. It's a picture of how deeply God loves us, that he would chase us down, that he would pursue after us. And we need to hear that. Because failure and the fear of it can, can lead us to fear failing again. Right? I've messed up now. It's just going to happen again if I do it. And we start to distance ourselves from those things. For some of us, failure can cause us to doubt, to doubt ourselves to doubt our worth, to doubt others, to doubt God. For some of us, that fear can cause us to dig in and, and get defensive. When we're confronted with failure, we push back on it, thinking maybe if we resist, and I wouldn't say these are the words that we're saying out loud, but in our heart, what we're functionally believing is maybe if we resist, maybe if we believe enough, if we can just convince ourselves that this isn't true, others will believe it too. And so when failure is brought up, we lash out or we push back and we're, we're not quick to listen, we're not quick to hear. We get combative because fear causes us to worry about what does that say about me? 
For others, that fear causes us to withdraw or retreat, to give up, to say, I knew I couldn't do it. I'm not even going to try again. One bad experience now colors the rest of your life. We get so discouraged by fear that we pull away from others and into ourselves. Man, I know that's true for me. So embarrassed and ashamed of our failure that it just would be easier to not come close to anything that will, could possibly cause me to fail like that again. Failure can keep us from being willing to try. A couple years ago, I was helping coach a freshman baseball team at one of the public high schools near where we lived. And I wasn't able to start until two weeks into the season. And so I first practiced. Everybody else had been practicing for two weeks. And the coach, Sean, asked me to throw batting practice. And I'm like, Sean, man, I am rusty. Like, this is my first day. I, I, am, I am not warm. Like, I, there's no way I'm going to do this. Well. I was like, no, you're fine. You're totally fine. I'm like, Sean, seriously, I, I'm, this is not going to go well. Like, I'm not warm for this. Like, I'm not ready. He's like, no, seriously, you're fine. Just get in there. So it's like, all right. So I take a bucket of balls. I go out to the mound. First kid gets up in the batter's box. You know, I get, get ready, get ready to pitch, throw hit the kid right in the head, <laughs> right side of the helmet. And you're trying to like, you know, not look like an idiot. So you're like, yeah, get off my plate. And inside I'm just like, oh, sweet goodness. So I get ready to throw the next pitch. And now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, don't hit the kid again. Just don't hit Like, don't hit him. Just, you know, I avoid hitting him. And I throw this pitch four feet into the left hand batter's box. I mean, it's not even remotely close to the plate. Third pitch, it is in the same area. Like I am like five feet away from this kid. It's not remotely close. And now I just can't stop thinking about it. Now I'm just like, well, I'm either going to throw it into the, into the dugout or I'm going to hit the kid in the face. Like, those are my options. I can't stop thinking about it. And that's a funny example, but that happens to us with failure sometimes. When we experience a little of it, we begin to worry that it's going to happen. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're so worried about failing again, we psych ourselves out, we act differently, and when we do, we go, I knew it was going to happen. I shouldn't have even tried. But the hope that we have here is that failure is not who we are. And we get a taste of that in the way Jesus reached out to Peter, that Jesus met him in the midst of our failure. Because if our failure was all that we, we are, then once we fail, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with us. If Peter's failure defined him, then he has no hope of a relationship with Jesus again. Because if Jesus was like any of us, we'd say, I am done with you. When I needed you the most, where were you? You betrayed me. That's how we would respond. But that's not what Jesus does. Our identity is not in what we've done. It's not in what we've done. We can't find our identity in, in those things, in the good things, and definitely not the bad things. They will never be enough for us. And we need to hear that because when we're in the middle of failure, it can seem like there's no way out of it. But we don't need to find the way out on our own because Jesus meets us in the midst of failure to lead us out. When we're humbled, we're often in a better position to understand what God is trying to say to us. And that's important because the next thing that Jesus does here is he teaches you through failure. Jesus teaches you through failure. When Peter denied he knew Jesus, his purpose in that moment was looking out for himself, was to avoid pain. He went back to his old life after that and he carried the scars of failure with him. But he knew that his old life wasn't enough. It wasn't filling the need left in his soul. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't just say, hey, we're cool, no big deal. 
there was something important for Peter to learn in this moment. Folks, God teaches us through failure. I would even go so far as to say God often teaches us through failure. Teaches us things like humility, patience, compassion, perseverance. But ultimately, he teaches us that our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. What we need to understand is that Christians define success and failure fundamentally differently than the rest of the world. The most pivotal moment in human history, the single greatest success ever, Jesus' death on the, and resurrection on the cross. Think about it. The single greatest moment in human history looked an awful lot like failure when it happened. Even to Jesus' disciples, he died. That wasn't supposed to happen. That's not what the plan was. He died. It, this whole thing has just fallen apart. It looked like failure, and yet it wasn't. God teaches us through that. He draws us to himself. He wants us to understand what it means to be known and loved by him. And I love this truth in Colossians 2, verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Here's what it, that doesn't say. It doesn't say depending on how often you failed or how badly you've messed up. You're complete as long as it wasn't too serious or it didn't happen too recently or it wasn't too often. Like You're complete unless those things. No, it, we are complete in Jesus. We're complete in Jesus. We will never be able to complete ourselves. There is an emptiness that we will always long to fill, but we are complete in Jesus. He's pointing us to that fact, teaching us that it is not who we are or what we do. That's not why we're loved. It's who God already is on our behalf. Psalm 37 says it this way, verses 23 and 24. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. I love that. He teaches us. He's engaged with us. And though we stumble, and we will stumble, we don't fall because God is with us. Frankly, it's such a mercy that God would allow us to fail to teach us in the midst of that. How many times in your life have you had to hit rock bottom before you were really willing to listen? God teaches us. He draws us back to himself. He wants to take our eyes off of, off of our own selves and what we think we're able to accomplish and draw them to him. He's saying you will never be able to be enough on your own, but you don't have to be. Let me be enough for you. I love that picture. But there are times that we struggle with that, right? Because we don't respond that way. We project onto God our own insecurity, our own sense of failure. We project onto God our own insufficiency and we figure God must be disappointed. God must be mad at me. God, God must look at me as, as such. I, if I see myself as a failure, God must see me as a failure too. But we're projecting that onto God. That's not his heart. That's not who he is. When you say to yourself, I am a failure, not I have failed, but I am a failure, what I want you to hear me say is, who told you that? Because it's not the God of the universe. He's not the one whispering that in your ear. Our view of God, honestly, is, is really our view of ourselves. That when you think about, like, you, you're housebreaking a puppy and they poop on the carpet, what we do, right, is we take the dog and you're like, look what you did! Look at it! Like we're hoping the dog is going to be like, oh, you know, you're right, that's me, my fault. Are you, actually, are you sure that wasn't you? Is that? 
Because that's our attitude. We're like, look, we're just mad. Like, look what you did. We want him to somehow get it. And we assume God must be doing that with us as well, but he doesn't. He is kind and gentle. He's tender and merciful. And he meets us in that moment and teaches us what we need to know about him, about who he is. God is trying to, to let us, get us to let go of our lives enough and surrender that to him that he can begin to fill in the broken areas that we could never do on our own. I left such an incredible promise that he would do that. But Jesus doesn't just meet us and teach us. He also restores us. Jesus restores you out of failure. He restores you out of failure. This is probably Peter's worst moment right here. It's likely his lowest low. And in the midst of this, Jesus and Peter have this conversation and Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. Three times, Peter, do you love me? And I think it sounds maybe harsh at first, right? Like he's trying to get Peter to prove it. But I actually think there's grace in that. There's kindness in that. Because I think Jesus asks him three times to correspond to each of Peter's three denials. He's trying to show restoration for every chance, for every time that Peter betrayed Jesus, denied he knew him, Jesus is giving Peter a chance to say, I love you, not because Jesus needs to hear it, but because Peter needs to say it. Peter needs to say, no, I love you. And at the end, he doesn't even say yes. He just says, Lord, you know my heart. I got to feel, I feel the weight of those words going, Jesus, I don't know what you want me to say because the last time I was super convinced, I failed so miserably. You know my heart. You know my heart. Jesus gives Peter three chances to affirm his love for him. And three times Jesus gives Peter responsibility to care for his people. The good news here is that Peter's failure didn't disqualify him. It would have for us, right? It would have for us. We'd have said, this is the most important life and you failed. I can't take that risk again. We're done. But Jesus says, no, I'm not done with you. I'm not done. Not only did it not disqualify him, Peter's best moments are ahead of him. I love that. Peter was told by Jesus, feed my sheep and follow me. Two things that Peter did to great effect later on in the book of Acts. It's incredible to me. It's just mind-blowing to me that the man who denied he knew Jesus, despite being warned that that would happen, became the man who healed in Jesus' name and gave an impassioned sermon to the masses, publicly standing up and declaring his allegiance and faithfulness to Jesus. Peter's best moments are in the future. This is the lowest moment of his life. And Peter, we have the benefit of seeing the whole totality of, of his experience and going, his best moments are still to come. And we can know in our life when we're in the midst of failure that our story is not yet written. The chapter is not done. There is more to come. We are not stuck where we are. We can look forward with hope to know my life can be better if I'm willing to trust and surrender that God has things for me, has significant things for me that are better than than what I am experiencing right now. The hope of Jesus is greater than anything else we could put our hope in. It's the hope that not only will God work in and through us in the now, but he's also secured for us our forever, a perfect forever with him where failure has been banished and is no more. Does that sound good? Place free from failure? That's certainly not my life right now. But man, that that sounds so promising to me. 
The truest antidote to failure is understanding our right and true identity is only found in Jesus. That's the truest antidote to failure. Because our identity, when it's in Christ, is failure-proof. Because Jesus is failure-proof. Think of how significant that is. When we see ourselves completed, not by what we do, by our efforts, by our successes, by our failures, when we see ourselves complete, not in the the sum total of our life, but instead complete in who Jesus is, we are failure-proof. Because even when we fall, we can say, it doesn't change who I am, it doesn't change how God sees me. John 1, verse 12 says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, He gave the right to become children of God. When we know Jesus as our rescuer, God calls us to be his children. I want my children to to succeed, right? I would do anything I could to help them to succeed the right way and the right things. God wants the same for us. He restores us. He pulls us out of the brokenness of, of our lives. He pulls us out of the dirt and cleans us off and sets us in a new place, the place even greater than what we could possibly hope for. He restores us. Life is wasted running from failure. Life is found when we run to Jesus. Life is wasted when we run from failure. Life is found when we run to Jesus. And I have to remind myself of that daily. When we divided this series up, I did not want this week because this is so me. This just hits so close to home for me. I struggle with failure so much. I struggle to shed those things. I struggle. All I hear is the negative. I'm so bad at letting go of that stuff, and it just sits on my heart. I am so bad about letting go of that stuff. I'll still think about times, stuff I've messed up in the past years ago. I'll still think of moments in my life that I wish I could do again, and I struggle to let it go, and it eats away at me, and I use it instead of saying that's not who I am anymore, I, I, I tell myself these lies that, no, this is who I am. I don't bring anything of value. God, why, why would you even care about me? I, I, I'm, I'm no good at this stuff. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father. That's the stuff that I live. When my heart is, is left to itself, that's where it goes to. I can be so consumed by where I failed, I lose sight of anything good. There have been moments where I have stood by my kids' beds while they're sleeping, and I have prayed over them that they would not turn out like me. I've stood there with tears in my eyes saying, God, please protect them from turning out like me because I am so aware of my shortcomings. I don't want them to struggle with the same failures I struggle with because I feel my failure so deeply, so irrationally, so fearfully. In my worst moments, I can lose sight of anything that's good and focus only on the bad. But what I forget in that moment is the truth that's, that's laid out when God says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. What Jesus says to me is, that stuff is not yours, it's mine, let it go. Stop fighting me for control of those things. That is not who you are. That's where we need to live. Why would we believe these lies that we craft about ourselves instead of saying, God, I choose to believe the good that you see in me, even when I can't? That's the hope that we have. A hope to be restored and made new. A hope that God would work in and through us. A hope that God loves us no matter the crap we bring. 
What failure have you been living with? There's a box on your notes, and I'd love for you to take the rest of the sermon and just think through that. What failure have you been living with? What failure can't you let go of? Maybe you're not doing well in school. Maybe your career isn't what you had hoped it would be. Maybe you have a broken relationship in your life. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with your spouse and your marriage is struggling. And you're wondering, how did we get here? Maybe you're not the parent you want to be. Maybe your finances are a mess. What failure have you been living with? Folks, because of Jesus, when we are willing to trust him, when we have a relationship with him, when our identity is in Jesus, we can approach failure differently. I want to give you four things to think about this week. The first is, when it comes to thinking of how you approach your failure, number one, understand it. Understand it. Take time to lean into your failure. Why did it happen? What brought it about? How did you get to this point? Can't do anything else with it until we, we, we start by understanding it. Because if we blow past that, if we ignore that, if we gloss over that part, we're going to be doomed to experience it again. The second thing is own it. Own it. Take responsibility for it. That's not something we really do well culturally. It's not something we really value culturally. But own it. Because here's the thing. It is often that with the failures you feel the most acutely, the most people in your lives see in some way. We like to pretend that, that nobody else does. And we spend all this effort and, and energy either dwelling on it or obsessing on it or pretending like it's not real instead of surrendering this to, to God, laying it down, saying, God, this is true. Help me in this. Don't deflect. Don't blame. Don't point fingers at someone else. And as part of owning it, confess it. Confess it to others. If you've hurt someone, confess to them. Man, I'm sorry that I've done this. Confess it before God. Confess before God that falling short of, of that standard that he said, of, of not being obedient, about loving him well. And here's what you need to hear me say. Confession is for you. It's not for the person you're confessing to. If it, if it matters to them, that is an ancillary benefit. Confession is us getting off of our heart the weight that sits on there. Third thing is learn from it. Learn from it. What is God trying to teach you through this? Because I guarantee you, he is definitely trying to teach you something. Where is God allowing you to experience failure so that he can draw out of your heart the reality that, that you are holding on to the wrong things, that you find your value or your worth or your identity in the wrong things and things that will never be enough? Where is God trying to draw you to himself? Because again, the difference between us and God is that God teaches to restore, that God wants us to learn so we can know the life he's created us for. God is not looking to grade us harshly so that we fail. God wants us to succeed. Learning something through our failure removes some of the sting and some of the pain. And I would say, too, when you learn from it, invite the right people into it with you. I'm not saying tell everybody your deepest, darkest failure. Probably not the time to share with your dentist when you're sitting in the chair and he's working on your mouth. Because it's probably going to sound like, ah, uh, I had a call years ago. Or, uh, you know, like he's not going to hear it anyway. 
but share with the right people. Invite the right people into it. Seek out accountability, someone to walk with you, to learn from it and grow from it. We all need people. When we struggle with stuff at our core, we need people to walk with us and help us see things that we couldn't see. The last thing is release it. Release it. Let it go. Seriously. Let it go. Stop holding on to it. Because the truth of the Bible tells us that it, when we surrender to Jesus, it is not ours anymore. We hold on to stuff that is changed ownership. It's not ours. It's not ours. Surrender that. Lay it down because when you know Jesus, that failure isn't who you are anymore. Winston Churchill said, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I think that's truly only possible when we know that because of Jesus, our failures are not who we are. They are not our whole story. Your failures do not define you. The hope of Jesus defines you.